but we're going to get into God's Word. So take your Bible or your Bible app, and we're going to take out the sword of the Spirit, and we're going to do battle against a monster, the final monster in our series. And so if you haven't been with us for the whole month of October, then I would encourage you to go online. And I hope that you go there and you listen to the Word of God. And don't be just the sermon taster. Don't be just like the sermon critic. You know, uh, some people just take in sermons and they're sermon junkies, like they're crack addicts, you know. And so you don't want to do that. You want to go to the Word of God with reverence. You want to go to the Word of God saying, speak, Lord, speak to me. And so you'll be able to get caught up on our monster series. But this will be the last of our messages in this important series. And we're talking about not having fear anymore. Does anybody ever battle any fear? Raise your hand if you battle some fear. You're afraid to raise your hand, right? Come on, come on, come on. It's not a trick question. We all battle with anxieties. We all battle with fears. I've battled with anxiety most of my life, and it all began when I was just a kid. Some traumatic things happened. I won't get into all the details and all of that, but I think that connects with it. And so uh, a lot of times we walk in fear, and God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, right? And so that spirit of fear that's coming over you for whatever it may be, and Don was mentioning finances, which could be a real important and, and you know, a big, big part of our life, and fear can come in there against our finances. Maybe you're at the doctor. My wife was at the doctor recently getting some tests done, and so thoughts go through your mind of cancer and other things, right? And so fear can come in. Listen, fear is a demon. Fear is a demon. It's a spirit. There is a spirit of fear, Paul said to Timothy there. And so we're battling that in our series called Monsters. And so I love the word of God. Do you love the word of God? Amen. I'm going to say that one more time. Do you love the word of God? Amen. Amen. Yes, let's give a shout. Let's say that to the Lord. We love the word of God at Harvest Bible Chapel in Reading. I'm super excited about next week. We're going to begin a brand new series for November. I'm titling Civil War. Civil War. And so there are many different areas of our life that we need to know that there is a battle going on. And so we're going to look at four different areas of the Christian life that are really, really difficult and really we need to know how to battle. And so I remember years and years ago, uh, the word of God was coming alive to me, and I was studying it, and I would study it for eight or nine hours a day, and tears would just be flowing out of my eyes and landing on the pages of the Bible, and there were manifestations of the demonic in my life. And so there were real things happening to prevent me from knowing the scripture and knowing the word of God and loving Christ. And so spiritual warfare has been very familiar since the very beginning of my Christian life. But I'm finding out that a lot of Christians, professed Christians, aren't real familiar with spiritual warfare. And so what we're going to do in this series called Civil War, we're going to dig into some of that. We're going to talk about things that uh, are really relevant to where we're living as Christians. So I'm excited. We're going to begin that next Lord's Day for the month of November. But for today, we're looking at monsters. Real quick review, when regrets become your Frankenstein was the first message that we did together. And, you know, regrets are something that uh, many of us battle with. And still we become almost like the monster Frankenstein. And death follows us. And parts of our life that we're not living at one time, now somehow we're trying to put them together. And the enemy is really having a field day with regrets. And we're becoming like a Frankenstein. And so regrets can only go to the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's where they are to give, be given, laid down right there. That was the first message. When regrets become your Frankenstein. Number two, or the second one, was when bitterness becomes your Dracula. When bitterness becomes your Dracula. It's interesting because I was talking to Kelly. You don't mind me saying this, right, Kelly? He doesn't even know what I'm going to say. He's still okay with it. <laughs> I love it. He trusts me. And so it looks like I'm preaching things based on conversations I have. And so Kelly and I, we do some correspondence throughout the week. And 
and he was talking about some regrets. This is at the beginning of our series on, on monsters. And so he's talking about regrets. Well, I had just got the outline from the Lord. Then I talked to Kelly, and Kelly mentioned regrets. And I was like, wow, Kelly, here's what was going on just a minute ago before anybody ever knew other than God and myself, that God was giving me an outline about regrets, and he was struggling with some of those things. Believe it or not, the week after that, Kelly and I were having another conversation. This is when the Lord gave me the bitterness message. And when bitterness becomes like your Dracula, it'll suck the life right out of you. And so then I'm talking to Kelly once more, and then he brings up this whole bitterness thing that he's tempted with and he's struggling with. And so I said, Kelly, I just want you to know that I don't take information or conversations I have with people in the church and then build a message around that. It was supernatural. A lot of people think that. Now, the reason why I kind of pre-wire that and say it out there, because a lot of people really believe that pastors are building, and maybe some pastors do that. Not me. I've never done that, not one time in 30 years. And so I won't do that because that's just not right. It's not good. It's not ethical and all of that. It's just super cool how the Holy Spirit is putting together the truth of the word of God to meet us right where we're at, right? And so the third one, the third message was when curses become your mummy. And that was interesting because uh, sometimes we as Christians think that, you know, curses don't affect us and, and things in our family history. And if there's alcoholism that's way back and it's been trailing down all the way, and then now you're flirting with it, you're drinking a little bit, I would be really, really cautious and careful to maybe want to set that thing aside and not go down that road because you don't know how those things in our history, in our, in our lives that have been generation after generation can now come back and haunt us. Now number four. This is perhaps the worst monster of them all. If you have a handout, you already know because you're a cheater because you saw the title right at the top. So when pride becomes your werewolf. That's the title of the message today, when pride becomes your werewolf. Now, now the, the werewolf has had a resurgence of popularity in recent years. I remember in the 80s when I was a teenager, there was the American Werewolf in London movie. I don't know if you remember that movie or not. I'm not exactly endorsing these. I'm just mentioning this, right? And so I think one of the, one of the turning points or the pivotal points in history about the werewolf was really, uh, I don't know if you'll notice who this is behind us there. A little difficult to see. That's actually Michael Jackson who turned into a werewolf in what video? Do anybody know? It was Thriller. Uh, I think it's the number one best-selling album of all time. And so that became now all of a sudden this obsession since then with werewolves. In fact, if you go to a website that I found, and again, I'm not endorsing this kind of stuff. I just did some research into it. But uh, there's a website that has documented that there has been sightings of werewolves in Wisconsin. So if you're into that and you want to go see if there's werewolves up in Wisconsin, you can do that. You're saying, I'm just going to just go to Florida because there's a mouse down in Florida that I really like to hang out with at Disney World, but that's about as far as I'm going to go. But if you want to see werewolves, I guess you go to Wisconsin, right? I mean, this gets a little bit kind of creepy. There's actually a diagnosis for, for this. It's called lycanthropy. Lycos is the word for wolf, and anthropos is the word for man. So you're talking about a wolf man. And so there is, you can do research, I've already done it, so you can see lycanthropy is this condition. And what they're saying, what, what experts are saying is that this condition is people are delusional, and, and they, they really believe that they're turning into some kind of a beast. Now, lycanthropy has been around for a long time, and so there were these medieval folklore kind of things that were being spread around about people that would turn into werewolves. And they would, they would kind of morph into that, and there would be affliction that maybe comes into their life, or something would happen and then they would become a werewolf. Have you ever pretended to be an animal before? Anybody? 
maybe a monkey or a gorilla or maybe an elephant or a dog or a cat. Now, did you really believe that you were that gorilla, that monkey, that dog or the cat? How many people want to say yes on that one, right? That would be delusional. You're not really believing, but you're pretending. But there are some people who battle with this down through history, like anthropy. Well, there's one biblical reference. I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 4 because some experts believe that what is happening in Daniel 4 Verses 28 down to verse 37 is lycanthropy. It's, it's Nebuchadnezzar, and he, he is morphing into something. He's turning into something. Now, is it a werewolf? I don't know if it was a werewolf, but it was a creature-like. And there were some reasons why Nebuchadnezzar was battling with the things that he was battling with. And so we're going to look into Daniel chapter 4, and specifically verses 28 down to verse 37. And so this is one of the greatest rulers in ancient history. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, once you just hate to get that name for a spelling bee, uh, you know what? You had to try to spell Nebuchadnezzar. Every time I try to write it out, I'm like, what? And I get it wrong every time. This is one of the greatest rulers in ancient history. And I want to connect the whole werewolf lycanthropy thing to Nebuchadnezzar and the pride that he was battling with. Now, in our text, it's pride that is the monster that brings Nebuchadnezzar down. And this is perhaps the most dangerous of all the four monsters that we're going to look at. Now, obviously, Nebuchadnezzar ruled in Babylon, and Babylon means that, uh, the gate of the gods. And so if you ever went to Paris, you would know that there is a tower in Paris, and that's called the what? The Eiffel Tower. So if you went to Babylon in that day, it would be another tower. It was the Tower of what? Babel. And the Tower of Babel was there in Babylon. And so another thing that was very significant about the city of Babylon was the hanging gardens, which were known as the seven wonders of the ancient world. And they were connected to this, this facility that was called the marvel of mankind. So picture this, the marvel of mankind, the seven wonders of the world, which were tiered gardens that went up onto the side of these, these structures. It was, it was brilliant. It was beautiful. The marvel of mankind. I find it very interesting that the blockbuster, number one blockbuster company that is out there making movies right now is called what? Marvel. And so I did some research into that. I want to know, how did they get Marvel for the name? And I, could, I, I trailed it way back because I was wondering if it was all just caught up in some kind of medieval thing or, or, or all of that, and I couldn't find the answer. But it's interesting to me because there's this elevation of, of man that is in our culture, and there's this elevation of superheroes. It was like that in Babylon. This was a city that was renowned. It was, it was a massive city of 200,000 people. You're saying, well, 200,000 is not that many. You know, Reading has about 400 with all of greater Reading. But in that day, Babylon was monstrous. In that day, Babylon was the city. And so 200,000 people dwelled there. It was about 2,200 acres in this city. It's located about 45 miles south of Baghdad. Does anybody know where Baghdad is? It's in Iraq. You might recognize this person behind me. Can we get a, a visual on him? Does anybody know who that is? Yeah, if you're a certain age, that's Saddam Hussein. And so Saddam, he ruled in Iraq. And so one of his ambitions as a leader was to rebuild Babylon. Did you know he was trying to do that? I think we have another picture here. Uh, that's the Ishtar Gate. So there's these, these, these plans inside of Nebuchadnezzar that he wants to rebuild Babylon, and there's a plaque there that reads this, and he had this inscribed, and I'm quoting, this was built by Saddam Hussein, son of Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> Do you want to connect yourself to Nebuchadnezzar? He did. And so what happened to Saddam Hussein? Well, he was 
executed for his crimes and he was hung. You have a man here who was full of pride and so you have this in our text. Now let me just define pride because it's important that it's not misunderstood. And it's not that if you did a 5K race and you did well and you're proud of yourself or if your child came home from school and really did a great job with a picture that they drew and you were to say to them, I'm really proud of you. That's not the kind of pride we're talking about. We're talking about pride being an independent kind of living separated from God. Like we can live our life as if God doesn't exist. God, I don't really need you. I'm going to go over here and do my own thing. That's pride. It's elevating ourselves so high and just diminishing God's importance in our life. You and all, all of us, before we confessed Jesus Christ, we lived in pride, right? You were saying, I don't need Jesus. And somebody might have said to you, you need to be born again. No, I don't really need that. You know, that's pride. And pride runs deep. It's the mother of all sins. It took Satan down. It also took Adam and Eve down. And listen, pride is in every one of our lives in varying degrees. Would you agree with that? living independently from the Lord. Pride is a diabolical exaltation of the self. It's self-worship. It's independent living. And God hates it. Let me run through some verses with you. You'll see them on the screen. We'll start with Proverbs. I think it's 11.2. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes what? Disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Let these words just soak right into you. Let's keep going through Proverbs. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. Listen, if your house is living independent of the Lord, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about pride before we get into the first two points, but if your house is living independent of the Lord, and the Lord's not really active, not really a part, not really the center, not the focus, I want you to know he tears down your house. He will tear it down, and he'll rebuild it. Look at these rest of these verses. These are, these are powerful. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Keep moving through these. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked are what? What are they? So what is our pride? Honestly, if, if you know that you have pride in your heart. If you know you have pride at various times in your life, raise your hand. They're all a bunch of sinners, man. All of us, the monster of pride. And it's like a werewolf. We turned into people that we didn't think that we were going to become because of pride. Nebuchadnezzar was turning into something he didn't anticipate would go this bad. You'll see how bad it gets in a moment because of the pride in his heart. Let's go through some more of these. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. We can just go to James now, 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the what? To the humble. Do I have one more there? 1 John 2, 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. So the pride that's in our heart is coming from where? The world. And who is the God who is over the world? Small g. Satan. And what brought Satan down? Pride. Man, this is in all of us. It's like a cancer that runs through our bodies. And it's like, oh God, can you just deliver me from the pride that's in my heart? 
and you think that you're humble, it's like a watermelon seed. Remember, you don't even remember watermelon seeds because those things don't even have seeds anymore, modern technology. But there used to be watermelon seeds, and you would grab one of those, and they're all slimy, and you'd put it between your fingers, and it would just like, you know, spit right out. That's what humility is. It's like trying to grab a hold of a watermelon seed. Oh, yeah, I'm real humble. <laughs> it's gone. As soon as you think you have humility, it's gone because your pride is there, right? Let me show you a picture of someone very young. Can you guess who that is? That's actually me. That's me. I'm pitching the winning game of our city's Little League World Series. And we won. It was phenomenal. The people were going crazy on that last pitch. Everybody was jumping up. And you know what somebody did? They had one of those old-fashioned boom boxes. You know, the ones that used to carry on your shoulder. It was like 400 pounds. It was like, you know, it had the big speakers. And so if somebody brought a boom box. And they had Queen, we are the champions playing, man. We came off that field like, we are the champions, my friend. It was like, my head was like this big coming off the mound. I was like, I was trying to carry my head. (laughs) So I went into school, had a conversation with my teacher, Mr. Hallberg. And his son was playing minor league baseball, going on to the pros. And I said, I really like baseball. In fact, Mr. Hallberg, I'm the best baseball player ever. I said that to him. He goes, do you mean you're a good baseball player? No, no, no. No, I'm the best baseball player ever. (laughs) I said this. And he's looking at me like, this dude needs some pills or something. He has some counseling, a rubber room. What had happened to me? And it's been with me ever since. Ever since. I can't wait till heaven. Because the monster ultimately will be destroyed. And we won't have that pride in our heart anymore. Aren't you longing for that day? And Daniel's the author of the book, Bearing His Name. And we're familiar with Daniel. He was in the lion's den. And uh, just some other things that he's really well known for. He's a gifted young man that was really abducted from uh, Israel, from Judah, when they were um, being invaded. And so I want you to look at chapter 1, verse 1. We'll go to 2, 1, 3, 1, and 4, 1. Just to get an overview here. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, there he is. He shows right up there, uh, this man who was full of himself. He was king of Babylon. He came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And so Daniel's taken you know, captive along with many hundreds of others, and they're brought back into Babylon to be slaves and to be raised up into the you know, brainwashed and all of that. And so in 2.1 of Daniel, it says, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. And so he had this dream, and he's turning to all of his soothsayers, magicians, and all of these people that were all part of that. Uh, which was wrong. I mean, we don't go to soothsayers and fortune tellers and tarot card readers. We don't do that. It's the same kind of thing that was happening. And so Nebi, I mean, he doesn't know any better. He's like all full of pride. And so he's going to these people. And so he eventually hears about Daniel. And Daniel comes, interprets the dream. Over in 3.1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it upon the plain of Dura in the providence of, of Babylon. And so now he makes this image. And he wants everybody to bow down to the image. What does Daniel do? Forget that. I'm not doing that. And so uh, there's some people that came against Daniel. And, of course, Nebuchadnezzar had the dream, first dream, interpreted by 
Daniel, and so he's really looking at Daniel like, whoa, okay, this is cool. He raised him up, and now all of a sudden, Daniel's not going to bow down. And now he has to kind of fulfill the law, which he established that anybody who doesn't bow down to the, the statue gets roasted and toasted. And so Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego went into that fiery furnace. You know that story. And so here you have well, what is happening here is Nebuchadnezzar is just on a tirade. Chapter 4, verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. What is happening, he has another dream, a second dream. And Daniel comes again to do the interpretation of the dream. And in the dream, Nebuchadnezzar is going to face some things about himself. Because there's a great tree, and the tree is chopped down. And Daniel says that, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the tree. And you're going to be chopped down. But there's going to be a stump that's remaining. And out of the stump would be this new life or this new, new situation. And so here's Daniel doing something that is just super, super cool, super phenomenal. Now let me just get a little personal before we even get to the two points. We're still not there yet. How do you know that you're prideful? Now I asked you earlier to raise your hand. And I don't know what your gauge is on that. You know, uh, maybe you bragged you know, or, or did something like that. And you think, well, that's pride. Let me go through a list. This is going to be fast. Don't write these down. You pray very little. If your prayer life is almost non-existent, you're pride. You're proud. You're proud. The more you pray, the less you're, you're prideful because you know you need God. You know you need, you're desperate for his presence. You're desperate for him. So little prayer. How about uh, you're thinking of yourself too much? You miss church a lot. That would be a form of pride because God has said and established his house to be a place where we need to be as Christians on Sunday. So if you're missing church a lot, there's a form of pride there. You don't think of God much. You rely on yourself. You have trust issues. You have a self-will, maybe a stubborn will about you. That's a form of pride. You're controlling. Maybe you judge other people where you compare yourself and you're struggling with massive insecurity. Anybody find themselves on that list? We're all guilty of pride. It's all part of our lives. Now let's look at this. Now let me ask you a trivia question before I even give you number one. Uh, what kills a werewolf? Does anybody know? A silver bullet. All right, what is the silver bullet? This is the question. God takes this silver bullet to our pride, number one, and write this down. Number one, by knowing exactly what to do in our lives to deal with this monster. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he needs to do inside of our life to make sure that we're being sanctified, that we're being separated from sin, that the pride in our life is no longer going to be the monster, no longer the werewolf. You'll stop turning into these people over and over again, and you're looking at that going like, well, that wasn't really me. What was that? Well, it's lycanthropy. It's kind of like that. You're becoming a person in and through your pride that you don't really want to be, but you're becoming them, and God knows exactly what to do to make sure that this monster is no longer in our lives. Look at verse 1, verses 28. This is verse 28 to 35. Look at verse 1. The key phrase is there. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Do you see where I'm at? All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. I want you to stop there. The werewolf of pride turns us into the person we don't really want to become. I don't think that Nebuchadnezzar was really going to know fully and completely what was going to happen to him at this point. And so Daniel is giving out the interpretation of the dream, and he gives him some good advice, but Nebuchadnezzar doesn't listen to it. This is very interesting. I don't want you to miss this. When, when it came upon him, there are things that God allows in our life. 
Uh, there are things that God has allowed in your life to come upon you. Why is he doing that? Is that because he's cruel and he's evil and he's mean and, and he's a jerk? No, he loves you. He loves us. And he knows exactly what to do with the pride that's in our heart. And he's going to allow some things to happen to you. And he's not allowing those things because he's cruel towards you. He's allowing those things because he really loves you. And you're saying, but it doesn't feel like love. This is so hard and it's so dark and I don't understand it. And my life is crashing around me. He's trying to do something inside with this independent living that we have where we say, God, I can handle this on my own. I don't really need you. That's pride. So Nebuchadnezzar is going to have something come upon him. We're going to read about it in a moment. I know that what I'm saying here is tough because some of you guys, myself included, have been through some horrific things in our life. And what happens is either we embrace that as the sanctifying work of God or we turn on God, get mad at him, and we leave. You know how many people see the last 30 years of ministry? Something hasn't been allowed by the sovereignty and providence of God in their life, and they push back on that, and they say, God, I don't understand, therefore I will not follow you. God, I don't like what I'm going through. I can't embrace what I'm going through. Instead of saying, but God, what are you doing inside of my heart? Is there some pride there that you want to work on? We don't even go down that road. Why not? Because we're so prideful. God does allow things providentially and sovereignly in our lives. It was 12 months. Verse 29 mentions 12 months had passed. Daniel interprets the second dream. I love Daniel. He was such a great man. I want you to look at verses 4 and 5 back in the chapter previous. Look at verses 4 and 5. Oh, same chapter, I'm sorry. Same chapter, but just verse 4 and 5. I, Nebuchadnezzar, verse 4, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. And as I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. You'll notice that in verse 4 and 5. Go down to verse 19. Verse 19, then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, my lord, may the dream for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached the heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and which was food for all, under which beasts the field the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king. You can stop there. It is you, O king. You go down to verse 29 and verse 30. Again, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. So in that period of time, he doesn't listen to the exhortations and to the words of Daniel. He pushes back on this, this young man who is used of God to bring some revelation to him. And at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Notice all the personal pronouns. Here we go. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The, king has de the kingdom has departed from you. Stop there. All right, he's going to lose something. What's he going to lose? His kingdom. How many people have ever gone through some form of loss, right? My wife and I went through tremendous loss about a decade ago. I didn't understand it at the time, but you know what it was really at the heart of the matter? What, what do you think it would be at the heart of the matter? What is God working on? My pride. You're saying, what? 
you know how many times I tried to hold on to things and try to bring change and try to make it happen or try to manipulate things to, so that my life gets better and it's not as hard? You know how many times I did that? God said, in my wisdom and in my love, I'm going to do this. I'm going to allow this to happen to you because there's some independent living in your life. You're trying to live without me, Chris. And I want you to live not only for me, but next to me and beside me. And all of that was going on. I'm a little nervous for Nebuchadnezzar here because he's, he's really talking a lot about himself. I've built this city, you know, uh, my mighty power and my majesty. He keeps going on and on, taking credit. And the, really the credit for everything in Nebuchadnezzar's life is really God. God is the one who is giving him breath, causing his heart to beat, his brain to be able to function. He's just not using it to the honor and glory of God. And so the kingdom has departed. He gets this voice from heaven. And God is going to allow him to experience some painful, painful loss. The kingdom. He had replaced God, the true God, and put the kingdom there. You're saying, wow, he's an awful guy. I would never do something like that. Really? I need you to look at your life a little bit closer, and I'll look at my life. I promise you. What does your kingdom look like? What does your life look like? So verse 32 and on, let's look at what goes on here. This is, this is quite interesting. Remember, lycanthropy, turning into a wolf or something like that. So the words come from heaven. Verse 32, you shall be driven from among men. Look at this. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High God rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Where did, where did he get... The kingdom, where does he get anything? Where do we get anything? We get everything from God. Everything comes from God. And here this man is elevating himself so high. And he's not recognizing it. And so this thing is coming upon him. He's like turning into this werewolf. There's some judgment going on here. Verse 33, immediately the, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and he ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Think about that. I used to think, well, maybe this was just King Nebuchadnezzar not taking care of himself, <laughs> right? He didn't take a shower, you know, he didn't clip his nails or anything like that. I think it's more than that. I think what was happening to him is this judgment was falling on him and he's, he's losing his mind and, and, and he's getting to this place of, of becoming something that, he didn't really want to become maybe, and he ends up becoming like a beast in the field. And he's eating food with the, the beast. How humbling is that? I was at the Philadelphia Zoo, I don't know if you saw our, our posts, uh, and so we went down to the zoo on Tuesday. I love looking at animals. I, just, I love it. I love the gorillas, and I love the monkeys. You know. And so we're watching a couple monkeys, and they're just kind of having their moment. And, and you're, you're kind of looking through the glass going, what are they thinking? You know, what's going through their mind? Does anybody have this kind of experience when they go to the zoo? And I'm thinking, what's, what are they thinking? And the way he's looking over there. And, and, and so one of them starts, like, looking through the hair of the other one and picking bugs. And it's like, you know, and kind of parting the hair and just eating these. And the other one's loving it. It's like, oh, thanks, man. You know, it's like, really, it's what they're, they're having this relationship thing going on. I can imagine Nebuchadnezzar with the beasts of the field eating with them. Now, suppose you went to the Philadelphia Zoo, and you were walking, and all of a sudden, you saw me in there with the animals, right? Now, you're walking, and you're like, whoa, <laughs> I know that guy. 
What's he, what's he doing in there? What's he eating with the animal food? And why is he picking the bugs off the... You would look at me and you go, whoa, something is really going on in his world, right? He's losing it. That's Nebuchadnezzar. So he's going through this transformation. I remember uh, many years ago, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm too prideful. I want you to, to teach me humility. <laughs> oh, wow, what a prayer request that was. And so I started reading all these books on humility. Andrew Murray wrote a great one, if you want one. Uh, it's just called Humility by Andrew Murray. And uh, didn't know that down the road I would be really facing some things that I never anticipated. And so I'm writing these journals. I've been writing journals for like 25 years. And I write in there, I say, God, I'm struggling. Uh, I don't really feel like you're near me. Uh, today I do, and today I feel like you're there. Thank you, Lord. And I start praising him. I'm writing this all down. I still do this every morning. I, I do these journal entries. And uh, I've been reading through my journals about that season of my life when I prayed that prayer, read those books on humility, and then I went down into this place. And God allowed all of these things to happen in my life to deal with what? Remember what he's dealing with? What? Pride. Pride. And there's so many layers of pride, and sometimes I think, oh, I'm pretty humble. And like that little watermelon seed, it's gone again. It's a monster. And God has been working in Nebuchadnezzar's life, and he knows exactly what he's doing. Can I just say that before we look at number two? We'll, just, we'll, we'll try to go a little bit quicker through number two. But I just want you to know that God is allowing things in your life, and it might be a diagnosis. You might have gone to the doctor, and there's a bad diagnosis. You're like, oh, man, this sucks, you know, this is horrible. You know, but listen, he's trying to, to do something inside of your heart. Maybe you've experienced loss. Maybe it was a loved one that you lost. Don't turn on the Lord on that. Maybe it's a marriage. Your parents' marriage fell apart. Don't turn on the Lord on that. He's wanting to do a work in your own heart. You know, and somewhere along the line, you start to live a little independent from the Lord, and you start doing your own thing and thinking your own thoughts. You're not praying as much, you're not turning to him, not trusting him. Maybe you're trying to control your own life because of what you went through. God knows what he's doing. I can say that confidently now. He knows what he's doing in your life. Number two, God takes the silver bullet to our pride by knowing exactly when this monster has been dealt with in our lives. This is verse 34 down to verse 37. It's in his hand. Time is in his hands. Oh, his time is <laughs> I just remember thinking, God, you're way too slow for me. You're way too slow. You know, and, and you know, you need to hurry it up a little bit. I want you to look at verse 34. It says, at the end of the days. Do you notice that, verse 34? At the end of the days. It's a predetermined amount of time. Time is in, in, the, in the, the sovereign hands of God, and he gives out the time, and he's giving out that time for Nebuchadnezzar to hang out in the fields with the beasts, eating food and looking a mess. But there comes a time when that is over. There comes a time in all of our lives. You'll notice it says, then lifted my eyes to heaven. Is that what it, where am I? Verse uh, Verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Man, this is a different guy. And so the timing had ended, and, and now the judgment is over, the sanctifying work, the illumination, the revelation that 
God is giving to Nebuchadnezzar is, is coming. You can see it unfolding here. And so for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand and say to him, what have you done? Verse 36, and at the same time, my reason returned to me. We don't know exactly how that's happening. I mean, he's out there, he's picking bugs, he's eating the food, he looks a mess, his fingernails are like claws, and all of a sudden, something happens inside of his mind. It's the mercy of God, it's the timing of God, it's his grace, it's all of those things operating in Nebuchadnezzar's life. It's his sovereign work coming over him. And then he's saying, okay, Nebuchadnezzar, it's, the time is up, and, and you're going to go through that, and I go through that that this divine timing comes to an end when we're going through this darkness or this valley or whatever it may be, and you're wrestling with some stuff, and, and the pride is being dealt with. You know, this is a severe monster. It's werewolf. I mean, you're, you don't want to turn into this person that you constantly keep turning into, and so you get to this place on the other side of this, and God says, all right, it's coming to an end, and now I'm going to give you some insight. Your, your reason's going to come back to you. You're going to be able to see things a little bit clearer. It's a wonderful thing that's happening to Nebuchadnezzar here. And it happens to us. It's an appointed time. I want to go down to the end of the verses. It's good. My reason returned to me, if you'll follow me in the text, uh, and for the glory of my kingdom, because what's happening here is Nebuchadnezzar is going to get more. It's, it's kind of like Job in some ways. At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. You see what's going on here? And now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. He wasn't saying that when he was in the field picking the bugs, right? And you're not going to say the same thing. And so some of you are in the middle of all this and you're saying, I, I don't think that way right now. There's no way. I, don't, I, I can't even imagine thinking. Because it's not time for you to think that. And God's going to take you from where you're at to where you need to be. You'll start to have your reason come back to you and you'll be in a different place. Then you'll be like Nebuchadnezzar and you'll be like praising God in ways that you've never praised him before. So when I sing down here, because I know that people will watch the pastor at various times during worship, especially if you're new, you're going to be looking for the pastor. Who's the pastor of the church? I do the same thing when I go visit other churches. Who's the pastor? I've got to check him out. All right, who is he? You know? And so when you see me down here raising hands, I'm not raising hands for effect. I'm not shouting out or doing claps because of that. I'm doing it because when I was in the valley of the shadow of death and when darkness was all around me, and God was working on my pride. I'm getting goosebumps even thinking about it. All of these things were crashing down around me. I started to realize that my God is faithful to me, that my God is always good, that he's righteous and altogether lovely to me, and he's beautiful to me. So when I go, yes, God, yes, Lord, because I know you in the darkness. I've seen you in the past when you were delivering me, when you were changing me, when you were doing something in my heart, when you're trying to capture all of me. This is what he's trying to do to all of us. Don't become a werewolf. Don't allow this pride to turn you into something that you really don't want to become. And if you say no to the truth of God, like Nebuchadnezzar was saying no to Daniel in the revelation coming through Daniel, then you too might have to go through some things. You're not going to turn into a werewolf. I don't really believe that. But you'll turn into something that maybe you didn't want to turn into. But God knows what he's doing in your life. He does. And he knows when. 
the time of all of that is going to come to an end, and you're going to come out, and you're going to be like, yes, Lord, yes, yes. But right now you're like, because you're walking in some of these monsters, right? Maybe bitterness and regret. Let me close with some thoughts. And I love what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. I loved the outcome of this chapter. We've looked at regret, bitterness, curses, and pride. These are the classic monsters that Satan will use to haunt us and taunt us. This week, millions are going to be celebrating Halloween. I think it's 100 and 190 million people, roughly, will celebrate Halloween. I think it's Wednesday, right? And so uh, there's a lot of money being spent. Uh, monsters are going to come out. Uh, they'll have little masks on, and some will have these other things happening, and the Halloween's going to come and go, and all of the costumes are going to be put away for another year, but the monsters that we're talking about will continue to haunt and taunt people. They'll continue to cause you to feel regret and bitterness, and you'll be wrapped up in the curses of your family and not renouncing those as you should, and the pride will turn you into somebody that you really don't want to be, so don't be haunted any longer. So what do you do with that? What do you do with all of these monsters? How do you the silver bullet or the stake in the heart for Dracula or any of these other things that I just was using as illustrations and visuals because some people are visual learners. But I want you to see something because God is the only one in the gospel that can destroy the enemy. And the monsters that you're facing can only be destroyed if you take them to the cross. Take them to the cross of Jesus. He will do what only he can do. The Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the who? To the humble. So what do you do with your pride today? I don't know. Talk to the Lord about it. Just say, Lord, I am prideful. And I certainly don't want to become a werewolf. I don't want this monster to be part of my life in the sense of dominating me. You'll always have pride lying deep down inside of our heart until heaven. But it doesn't have to haunt us and taunt us anymore. Let's stand to our feet. Oh, God, we pray that you would help us in Jesus' mighty name that the monsters that we've looked at this month will no longer haunt and taunt us. God, we want all regrets, Lord, to be laid at the cross. Even now, if some are coming in with regrets, and it's totally debilitating their life, and they can't move forward. They can't experience the joy unspeakable and full of glory. They, they don't have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. So God, regrets, lay it down. If this is you in the house today, and if you're struggling with the Frankenstein of regret, just, just simply say underneath your breath or to yourself in your mind, or quietly to say, oh God, that I'm laying down at the cross. Or if it's bitterness, maybe you're bitter about something and it's sucking the life out of you. And you just don't seem to have this vitality in your Christian life because of bitterness. Again, lay that down before the Lord, even now in this prayer. And just say, God, take this bitterness and, and I don't want to have my joy sucked out of me. I don't want my peace gone because of bitterness. Maybe it's curses in your family. Maybe there's generational stuff and we talked about that last Lord's Day, and maybe you would want to say just even now, see, I renounce those things. Those things will not be part of my family. The enemy has used those things in generation after generation of my family, but that would not be my case now, and my family is going to be different. And so, God, maybe you would just continue to do a Holy Spirit work in the area of pride in our hearts. And I confess to you, Lord, lots of pride. Maybe you want to do that. Confess your pride. Just start saying, oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for living independent of you. I tried to live my own life, uh, not really trusting you, not obeying you, not submitting to you. 
It's all pride. And so let me encourage you during this song to be released. These enemies to be destroyed. Take this song, Lord, and and do some great things through our lives in the midst of all of the worship that we're going to have right now. May we lift hands to you in victory. May we, we praise you. May we honor you and glorify you. No more fear. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. No fear in this house during the song. No fear. Some of you step out. Step out. Move out into another place that you want to worship and glorify his great name with. Let's worship him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.